Hello and welcome to the podcast Tech Marketing Trends. My name is Jacob Lomerbrand and I'm the CEO of Brightvision, a growth agency in Europe. And I'm also the host of this podcast, which is a pleasure because I get to meet great people. And today I'm thrilled to have a former guest with us back, Scott Brinker, nonetheless. And uh, as you might have remembered, if you have uh, listened to the episodes before, Scott is the VP of Platform Ecosystems at HubSpot and also the brain and the innovator behind Chief Martech blog, which is an awesome blog. And we're going to chat about his report, uh, Martech Trends in 2024. Well, really good to have you back, yeah, Scott. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I didn't do so badly last time that you were willing to invite me back again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That was awesome. Uh, but three years goes fast. So uh, it's well, uh, well about time to, to you know, have a chat. And it also coincides very with your uh, very interesting report that you have put out uh, uh, recently about the marketing trends. But before we dive into that, you know, we just must hear a little bit, you know, what's been up since last time and, you know, what have happened so far uh, since that? Well, you know, I think if we take three years, we really have to look at it through the context of um, coming out on the other side of this pandemic. Uh, mm. And really for me, the, the big impact of that is before the pandemic, Everyone was talking about digital transformation. Okay, and here's our five-year plan, our 10-year plan by which we will digitally transform. And just as like a function of necessity in the pandemic, pretty much companies, it was digital or nothing, you know? And so coming out on the other side of that, yeah, I don't hear a lot of people talking about digital transformation as much anymore. We're like, okay, we've now, we're now digital, but oh my God, we have got a lot of work to do, you know, with really being good at how we do all this digital operations and stuff. And so I feel like the industry has taken a bit of a step function, you know, in its maturity. Don't get me wrong, we still have a long road ahead of us. Um, but I think we're we're now actually <laughs> we're walking that road. We're not thinking about walking that road. No, exactly. I agree. And and uh, even though we have been, you know, doing Martech in different ways for quite some years now in in the industry, just feels like it's accelerating. And and I know you have written about that, so we'll come to that. But yeah, I sure agree. <laughs> we're we're not done yet, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. And uh, at HubSpot, what's what's been uh, the latest uh, things going on there? Well, uh, yeah, you know, noted that I uh, I run the platform ecosystem, so all the amazing companies that build integrations into the HubSpot platform, and yeah, we're now well over fifteen hundred uh, integrations, uh, and constantly like expanding the extensibility of the platform, making those integrations deeper, and it's all very much you know when we talk about ecosystems, right? It's I I feel like we're getting beyond the technical discussion of like, oh, this integrates with this and it sends this data from here mm. to there. I mean, that's all part of the plumbing. It's important. Mm. But I feel like both inside companies with their tech stacks, as well as actually more broadly, how they think about all of the different partners, you know, and channels and communities mm. and touch points they engage with, 
is I just feel like people are becoming more ecosystem savvy, you mm. know, recognizing one of the effects of this digital journey we've been on is the adjacency and the interconnectivity, you know, mm. of our internal operations, but also our external engagements with the world. Mm. They're just more inner network, like the density of, you know, the network connections mm. is higher than ever. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really exciting for the work I do at HubSpot, but, um, yeah, I mean, again, it kind of goes back to me for like, it's just exciting to see this whole industry go through such, such just advancement, you know, yeah. in its thinking uh, yeah. about uh, not the individual pieces so much yeah. as the uh, the greater whole. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I agree. It's it, the app store or uh, you know the the integration store. There, it it always just grows and grows and grows and it's so so much in there so yeah i suppose you have a busy job <laughs> yeah uh, i okay. love what i do so yeah, yeah awesome <laughs> so you know you you released together with a colleague this uh report not so long ago martech for 2024 and and you share uh and it's like 100 pages long. So it's really a deep dive you do. It's not a just, you know, a 12 page, you know, <laughs> pamphlet, but rather a really uh, well-written deep dive into different trends and, and, you know, movies and shakers and things going on and things. So thank you for that. And, you know, um, could you start off by elaborating a little bit on, on these key trends that you see so we can start from the top there and, and you know, see... What is it that you see on the horizon for 2024 that you have uh, taking up in the report? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Franz Riemersmann and I, uh, you know, sort of took a five six month period at the end of last year, where second half of last year, just you know, sort of looking at these trends that were evolving in the space. Not so much trying to like predict what the the future is going to be, uh, mm. because it's hard to predict what the future is going to be. It's changing so rapidly. But rather mm. saying like, okay, what do we actually see that's happening perhaps early, but it's actually happening. It's being implemented, you know, and is there an extrapolation of things that we feel relatively confident we're going to see more mm. growth for here in 2024? And there, there are a lot of different facets to that, but I'd say sort of three overarching trends. Um one is the data between all these different systems is moving out of being siloed in all these different little isolated databases uh, and is increasingly being aggregated through cloud data warehouses, cloud data lakes, things like this. Um, I mean, you just see more and more companies, they're not only pushing the data from all their different apps and ops into the cloud data layer, you know, for things like analysis or machine learning, but they're increasingly now also, oh, and once we've got this data, you know, in this common layer and we start to mission mash and, you know, model things, we want to be able to push, you know, different pieces of it back up to the frontline mm -hmm. apps and operations. Still early, you know, there mm -hmm. are companies that are ahead of the curve of this. There's a lot of companies that aren't on this yet, but the acceleration of moving towards a universal data layer uh, mm -hmm. feels like a pretty major trend in MarTech. And it it's such a game changer for marketers because, I mean, everyone really does recognize that it's the data that gives us so much opportunities, you mm -hmm. know, to be intelligent about how we engage with prospects and customers. And when marketing was isolated in its own MarTech stack, 
it really only had visibility to data of marketing related touch points and activities, you know, which was fine. That was a piece of the equation, but we all know, I mean, like, yeah, the customer journey is far beyond, you know, like marketing owned touch points, you know? And so having this data available in a more universal layer, you know, where marketing now starts to get more visibility into, uh, uh, you know, interactions with digital properties or products, um, what's happening in sales, what's happening in customer service, um, being able to connect it even with things like, oh, partner ecosystem data, you know, things like this. It's, it really is a treasure trove of new data, you know, that marketers can start to synthesize and how do we better serve our customers? So that's one trend. Um, yep. There's another trend that I feels a little bit technical the way I keep saying it, um, uh, of this idea of composability. You know, and it's kind of related to this, you know, what we were just chatting about is, okay, we've had all these different applications mm. all throughout our business. Um, we've had a siloization of data, which, okay, that's now starting to, those, those, those barriers of those silos are starting to melt. Um, but you still had all these like different applications, you know, and like, all right, well, if I want to think at a level above the applications. If I want to think about business processes that span multiple applications, if I want to think about customer experiences, you know, that are going to leverage uh, services and capabilities from multiple applications, you know, what we really need to be able to do is to, quote unquote, compose, you know, a process or, you know, an experience uh, that using APIs from many of these tools, we can actually start to synthesize things that, they, they, they live at a level, they operate at a level above what the individual applications uh, do. Mm. And this is super exciting. Um, you know, I mean, just the amount of API accessibility mm. in products has really made tremendous progress over the past mm. five years. It, it used to be like five years ago. I mean, some products had good APIs, a lot didn't, you mm -hmm. know, now... It's it's the it's more the exception to not have uh, you know good APIs uh, to your product. So I think that's changing. You know, combined with more open data and more flexible way of mm -hmm. combining services. Again, for marketers, this is just it's like a whole new canvas. You know, right. of how they can start to think about what they want to create, either internally or externally. Mm. And then, of course, the third trend, we can't forget about it, right, is, <laughs> take a guess, generative AI, right? Yeah. Um, which is really remarkable. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion that's happened about how marketing is using generative AI in content, uh, you know, helping to either, you know, accelerate the creation content, um, you know, uh, the, you know, once I have a content asset, mm. leveraging Gen AI to facilitate, uh, you know, mm. reusing that in a variety of interesting, exciting ways. Mm. Uh, we're starting to get into some really interesting, you know, like personalizations of like create a avatar and then I can dynamically, you know, feed uh, content into it and it miraculously uh, actually works. I mean, it's like moved, what do they say? It's like the uncanny valley um, you know, where it's like, oh, well, yeah, I see what they're doing here, but it's pretty clear this isn't real to, yeah, some of these things, it's like, it is indistinguishable, you know, from what is a, you know, actually a live person versus what is something that was AI generated. And wow, 
this creates challenges for us elsewhere in the world. Like in society, yeah. this whole concept of deep fakes is, um, mm. boy, it's going to make life complex on a number of different levels. <laughs> but in the context of marketing, we're like, hey, listen, what we're just looking to do is find the most effective way to communicate and engage with customers at scale. I don't think of these things as deep fakes so much as deep makes. You know, it's the ability mm. to generate these very personalized you know, video, audio engagements. Um, but one last thing I'll just say about Gen AI, and then thanks for mm. yeah letting me indulge in this ramble, um, yeah. is I don't think it's just about the content that I get excited about. Yeah, For me, it's really exciting that some of these generative AI interfaces are making it easier for marketers to be able to tap into more of the data and analytics and insights, uh, mm. you know, that have existed in their organization. Mm. In fact, with that combined data layer, it's, you know, the data is more present than it ever has been before. But for a lot of times, if a marketer had a question about that data, you know, and they wanted to find the answer to something, they very often had to go to like a data analyst or an ops person or someone like that. And those folks are always like overwhelmed with, you know, a yeah. long queue of requests, you know? <laughs> and so it just either took a long time or in a lot of cases, the marketer would have the question that popped in their head and they'd be like, yeah, it's not even worth asking about. It's, you know, it'd take them weeks to get me the answer. Mm. Yeah, just not worth it. You know, these generative AI interfaces where people can now describe in natural language, hey, listen, I'm looking for data that could compare, you know, this campaign we did here with this other thing there. And what was the long term lifetime value of, you know, customers that came out of that? You know, and then the, the Gen AI engines are getting to the place where, okay, to actually turn that into the respective SQL queries and develop a report for you. And even if it isn't, perfect like what a lot of these interfaces are doing is they're not trying to be a black box about it you know very often what they'll do is they'll say okay let me translate that let me create a report as a starting point but then the marketer still sees what was contributing into the report and they can now maybe all right you know you've, you've taken me 90 percent of the way and now on the last 10 percent, i might tweak a few of these things to look at it I feel this is doing so much to democratize mm. the ability for marketers to leverage more of this data, more of these analytics, get more insights from it. And I think we're just barely beginning to see the improvements in productivity and um, innovation that that's going to bring. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I'll stop yeah. there. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for the overview. That was awesome. And, and big and challenging and interesting trends, of course. And uh, yeah, so... so uh, if we start just double clicking a little bit on, on the generative AI trend there and so forth, there's so many use cases, as you say, you know, there's uh, all kind of stuff and, and especially maybe within content and data analytics, as you say there. And, um, but you also talk about AI chat boxes in, in combination with data warehouses and so forth. And, and uh, can, can you elaborate a little bit on that? What, what you see with the cloud data warehouses and where they are fitting into the marketing workflows and customer interaction and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, well, again, it's mostly about once we get the data in one place, that's arguably half the battle. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we, we've come basically off of, you know, up, up until quite recently, like most of the time, just getting the data in one place uh, yeah. was an epic uh, challenge. And I don't want to oversimplify. It's still non-trivial in a lot of organizations, but yeah. you see the direction that it's becoming more and more common, more and more data is being uh, 
you know, unified there. Yeah. Then the second step becomes like, okay, great. We've got the data there. Now, what do we do with it? Like, how can people like, you know, access it? And I think the most straightforward use case to look at is like, okay, well, before we even action on anything, can we just ask questions of this data? Can we like, you know, learn new insights that maybe weren't obvious to us before, weren't even accessible to us before because, well, the data wasn't there. And so now that we've got the data, you know, being able to use some of these generative AI interfaces to query the data, to ask these questions, you know, and to help tease out uh, some of these insights. I think that is like just even as one step of using generative AI interfaces to help democratize more analytical thinking across the marketing organization is, it might be one step, but it's a pretty big step. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, I mean, just take ChatGPT and using the paid version of it, so you can use the analytics platform in there. It's fantastic. It's quite simple to just upload whatever <laughs> chunk of data you have and start questioning about it. So it's not that hard uh, if you just know that you don't share that info with, uh, you know, and train the system on your data. But yes. yeah, yeah, uh, I, I agree. And that's so interesting. Have you seen any, you know, specific use cases where, where this is... Uh, uh, coming to live as we speak, you know? I mean, uh, the most obvious one to me is like uh, in HubSpot, we've already created, uh, you know, like a natural language interface um, mm -hmm. where, yeah, it, like marketing go and say, hey, I'm looking for a report of, you know, this compared up against that other thing. Mm. And it goes ahead and it generates the report for us. I mean, mm. you know, someone could have built that report before. Mm. It's not like it was, you know, a net new report underlying capability. But I mean, even with HubSpot is, I'd like to think a fairly user-friendly interface, mm -hmm. still it's a very deep and rich product. And so like, you know, going in and like, all right, this is how I can figure this report mm -hmm. and this is the fields here and these are the options. It's, it's work, you know, mm -hmm. and there would tend to be a set of people in the company who would learn how to do that. I would be comfortable with that. And then there'd be another set of people that like, yeah, no, all right, I'm not going to learn how to do that piece. Um, to have like a natural language interface where yeah. literally anyone can just like ask the question they have, the way they're thinking of it in their head, you know, and then have HubSpot like generate the report, you know, for it. And again, it's not black boxing yeah. it, you know, the report it generates is essentially something that's configured, but they yeah. see all the configuration options. They can tweak them. They can change them. Um, yeah. I mean, that's it's, a it's, spot. it's one step, but it's like really yeah. powerful to see how yeah, yeah, yeah. manage that. It, and that's the chat spot functionality you refer to? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And and good observation that, you know, a year from now, maybe we don't have the reporting tab in, in HubSpot or other, you know, CRM or ERP systems. We have a chat prompt. <laughs> we ask whatever you want to see, you know. <laughs> you know, it's in, in all seriousness, this is a... This is really a brand new user interface paradigm. Mm. We just yeah. haven't, I mean, across the software industry in general, and it's going to be really intriguing to see how that changes how people use software. Um, I mean, again, particularly as you get to more advanced software, software mm. that just has more surface area of different things mm. it can do. Um, you know, we as humans, there's only so much we hold in our head at any one point in time between 
mapping the things we want to do and mm -hmm. then up against like, oh, there's a massive set of capabilities we could apply to get that thing done. Mm -hmm. you know And as we start to use these generative AI interfaces to do the translation for us, um, yeah. again, it accelerates the the speed and the productivity. But to me, the more exciting thing is, um, what would be the term for it? It's, it's the under... It's all the non-use. Uh, is that the form for it? It's like uh, uh, some technical term for this. This idea of like, okay, it's about all the cases that we don't do today mm. because we just, the the amount of work we think it would be, it, it basically dissuades us being like, okay, yeah, and nah, I don't want to spend a few hours figuring mm. that out. So, you mm. know, I'll move on. When you remove that barrier where you're like, oh, actually, if I have this idea or I have this question, like, actually, I can bring that to life in, you know, under a minute. Yep. I think that changes people's willingness to be more creative, to like yeah. lean in to more of the questions and the ideas they have. Um, and it's tapping that imagination, mm -hmm. that sense of possibility that I feel is, boy, going to be, I mean, this is what marketing to me was always about, you know, is mm -hmm. I always, I mean, I'm a tech guy, but I always felt like I've just always admired marketers as, you know, these very creative and imaginative and willing to sort of think outside the box, you know, yeah. folks. And in many ways, I feel guilty that, you know, MarTech has very often tried to like, yeah, okay, that's great, but you got to fit it into this box, <laughs> um, you know? And I think as we start to get to a place where like, yeah, actually, you come with the imagination, the mm. ideas, you know, and the MarTech will figure out how to like serve the needs you want rather mm. than you having to do that. I think it's just yeah. going to be incredibly fruitful uh, time for marketing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We're going to get so much more done. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, it will also require us to step up. And uh, just as, you know, I sometimes use the analogy that when somebody at the first row in the cinema stands up, you know, everybody behind needs to stand up as well, as well after a while, you know, because otherwise you won't see. And of course, when your competitor levels up or, or you know, kicks in another gear using Gen AI and, and uh, smarter tools than you and your team have, you know, that's creating pressure. And that brings us to the other trend and, and also a question I had there, which I think is very interesting. And that's the Martech rule that you, you know, as I remember it, you technology evolves uh, exponentially, but organizations logarithmically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, can you elaborate a little bit on that and the stress that causes? I mean, yeah, I think everybody listening to this probably feels this stress. Um, yeah. I sometimes call this the quintessential management challenge of the 21st century is, yeah, we know technology changes more or less at an exponential rate. I mean, if we just even look at like Moore's law and computing, it's mm. it's it's largely held. Um, but you see it in like so many other, you know, mm. contexts. Um, we also know from like just empirical experience that change versus humans is hard. Um, mm. And actually when we're organizations of humans, it's even harder. Yeah, you know? like an oil you know? tanker, you sometimes feel like, you know, it takes forever yeah. to just make a turn. <laughs> and it's so so right um and you know i mean there there aren't a lot of silver bullets to this um mm. you know it is something that you know the two things i've advised people on has been like okay here are two things you can do given that uh mm. one is first be very intentional 
about which changes you're going to embrace because you can't embrace them all. You can embrace some, you can't embrace them all, yeah. you know, so make those choices thoughtfully. Um, and then the second thing is, and this is to your point about the person in the cinema in the front row standing up is you're probably never going to be able to have an organization that changes at the exponential rate technology does, but that isn't necessary. All you really need to do is if you're able to change faster than your competitors, you yeah. know, be able to adapt them faster than they can, even if it's just by a little bit, mm. very often that's that's sufficient to win. I think the only thing that I would say I realized through the pandemic and post-pandemic is while that's largely true, and those are other things being equal, the only two levers you have, every now and again, something happens that is a discontinuity in that it's an inflection point you know um that, that that really changes the game i think the pandemic was one where like it forced companies to change much yeah. faster than they would have had they not been under that you know uh pressure that they were i think generative ai is another one of these things where the power that you get out of generative AI, even with relatively modest changes to behavior, it's like it's, it's an outsized impact, to, you know, relative, you know, to the change itself. And so I do think, yeah, we're, we're going to see like a pretty good jump, but mm. you're 100% right. Yes, mm. even if it's an accelerated jump there, it's still not yeah. an easy jump and companies have yeah. to consciously choose to do it. Yeah. Exactly. And I actually, I <laughs> found a leadership book in my bookshelf uh, some months ago here, uh, written by um, GE's uh, old uh, chairman and CEO, Jack Welch. And yeah. it's it was from the late 90s. I think it was 98 or 99. And it just struck me because he, he had like 25 leadership lessons or something like that. And the last three of them were all about e-commerce. You know, he wrote about how he basically, you know, demanded every company in the whole organizations to go live on e-commerce before the end of the year. And boy, he sacked people to right and left that didn't do that because he was enforcing it with great vigor, you know, and and I just felt a little bit, you know, that guy was probably pretty good at, at moving, maybe not in a nice way, but, 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 you know, it was a large organization with 350,000 people. And, and he just realized we need to be on this bandwagon with e-commerce. And that was an inflection point in the nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. And I, I totally agree. We're at the same era where something comes along, you know, what, that we need to adapt to in one way or other. It was probably not clear for them back then how exactly somebody selling, you know, jet engines should use e-commerce. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, they had all kinds of different companies in there, but he just, you need to have it. And and I suppose we're, yeah, we need to understand this. Uh, and, and we need to put up some bets, you know, maybe some are bad, maybe some are good. But how do you see, you know, what bets should we put up there if we're a marketing organization trying to navigate in this uh, jungle? I mean, you know, again, if we align it to the trends, I feel like, okay, investing in connecting your data together is, that's going to pay so many dividends. I mean, even like, we didn't talk directly about this, but like so many of the things people want to do with AI now, to like really get AI models that are tailored to your business, 
it's very much about being able to feed the right data into them. So yeah, investing in your data infrastructure, mm. it might not seem like the sexy work, but oh no. my goodness, the sexy work that you get to build on top of that is um, incredible. Yeah. Um, so data know. warehouse, you know, some some kind of data lake or data storage or data warehouse where you can gather all your season data, marketing data, so you can put a, you know, whatever chat GPT or whatever it's called in the next version, you know, yeah, uh, that's the best starting point. You can't go wrong on that one, I suppose. <laughs> I agree. And then I think, you know, with the, you know, the idea of composability and generative AI and all this, to me, it's mostly an organizational change of mm. we need to keep moving forward with the democratization of this technology. We, you know, if we really want to harness this power, we need to help teach and enable and empower more people inside the marketing organization to be able to self-serve more of their needs for like, you know, data analytics, to be able to self-service more ideas they have of things they could do to improve their workflow or to create a particular, you know, targeted experience for a particular campaign or program or something like that. Uh, I think... What is it uh, the Gartner thing of like, you know, citizen developers, your citizen analysts, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, in fact, actually, I was just reading, uh, I just actually wrote something about it this morning of, you know, publicists, you know, posted mm -hmm. a press release the other week of this grand thing of they're like, yes, everyone in publicists is going to become a data analyst and an engineer. And, mm. you know, and it's like you read that and you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a little <laughs> bit of BS there. That, that, that's, that's slinging <laughs> some crap there. But the 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 direction of that of saying like listen we, we i mean if you want to be a modern marketing you know powerhouse yep. you've got to be able to empower you know the people on the edge of the organization to mm. take advantage uh, of what this technology is and i think that is that's a really big cultural uh and like man management shift you know, that needs to happen. And so I would I would highly encourage marketing leaders uh, to be thinking about how they're going to evolve, uh, you know, their teams and departments uh, for that over the years. Yeah. Wow, I totally agree. And boy, if we knew what you, you know, <laughs> how this will play out in a few years time, I, that would be awesome. Because uh, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're an exciting time right now. I just must uh, also uh, circle back a little bit to, to you know, your... You're maybe the guy in the world, uh, best uh, overview of the whole MarTech scene and so forth. And, um, you know, we're in a slower economy now. And I also came across some, uh, I don't think it was your report that said that MarTech as an area will peak in 2024 and things like that. You know, where do you see the industry in terms of, uh, you've written write a little bit about the report, w will it, ever expand you know new martech new new sales solutions coming out all the time or what's your take on the industry martech in itself yeah that's a fair question and i'm always having been doing this now for many years i'm actually quite humble about the fact i don't know um where the future is going to hold like if you'd asked me like 10 years ago hey man <laughs> the martech landscape's getting pretty large uh, don't you think it'll be consolidating i'd be like I suspect we probably hit peak Martech and that was yeah. maybe when it was like a thousand, you know, it's now up to like 13,000. You're like, okay, well, I mean, in theory, yeah. I would say, yeah, yeah. 
feels like it's peak Martech, but mm. I've been wrong about that every year for, you know, like the past yeah. eight, nine years. So, um, <laughs> you know, it makes but, you humble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I mean, at some level, and this might maybe sound a bit cavalier, I almost think it doesn't matter anymore. No. Like, I mean, the difference between a thousand products in the market or 10,000 products in the market, it's basically an explosion of products. Um, yeah. And this isn't just in MarTech. We see this in every domain, you mm. know. And so I think the days of feeling like, oh, there's just a very small number of products and we just mm. do that and that does mm. everything for us. That isn't it. It is a constant yeah. like evolution yeah. of new technologies. And we, rather than trying to just consolidate away or pretend it's all going to consolidate away, yeah. it's like we need to adapt the way we run our technology infrastructure, the way we run our business to have that adaptability um, and find ways to bring cohesion into our operations and our architecture while still supporting that adaptability. Um, and, and again, actually, this is something that's it's doable. It's like you see it with the cloud data warehouse. I mean, like if you if you go back to the world where, okay, every MarTech product is its own siloed little database, you know, moving from a thousand MarTech products to 13,000 products, crap, now I've moved from a thousand silos to like 13,000 silos. This is definitely a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. But if you get to a world where every single MarTech product has to share its data in a universal data layer, then whether you have a thousand MarTech products or 13,000 uh, MarTech products, you still have one universal data layer. It like changes the, the dynamic of what that diversity does as to, well, the cost benefit ratio of these things. The cost has been really, really high. As we start to move to these aggregation patterns where yeah. cost is still non-zero, but it's dramatically lower than it was in a disconnected world. Yeah. And we can now really just evaluate things of like, okay, well, what are we trying to do? What's the benefit we're trying to achieve? What's the capability we're trying to execute? Um, can we do it with our current stack? And if we can, great. Uh, nobody wants to spend more money if they don't have to. Um, but hey, if we need some specialized tool to bring in for a particular thing, we can do it. We can plug that yeah. into our stack. We've got an architecture that now supports that sort of evolution and adaptability. And I think that's a big step forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And and. You, you, yeah, you write well about long tail that we now see created in in all kind of uh, software and technology industries, but not the least in in Martech as well. So, so I think that's really good. I see the clock is running here, and you know, if we're gonna summarize a little bit here, what do you have any final advice or or so to CMOs for this year in twenty twenty four? You know. Where should they look or where should they go or what should they focus on or something like that or something else? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess I would say three things to any CMO. First of all, take a deep breath. I know it's just, yeah. there's a lot going on. I like uh, that. <laughs> the, the answers are not clear. Uh, the only thing I can assure you is you're not alone. Basically, every other CMO in the world, assuming they're not in a coma, you know, like they're feeling yeah. the exact same stress you are. It's just a, it's it's a challenging time as much as it is an exciting one. All right, so deep breath. The other two things I would suggest is invest in the data 
infrastructure side of it. You know, and this is not something you should be doing alone. This should be something you're doing in collaboration with your IT organization, mm -hmm. with other stakeholders in your business. But getting that greater data connectivity across the mm. business is just going to pay so many dividends for you. Mm. Um, and then the third thing is experiment with Gen AI. Empower your teams to experiment more with Gen AI. I mean, we don't know all the use cases here. We, uh, the, frankly, these Gen AI tools are changing so rapidly that mm. you know things that you thought like, well, I can't do this, you know, a month ago, you know, and then you're like, mm. oh yeah, yeah. Right, I guess now I can. Um, yeah. you know, if you aren't, <laughs> if you aren't like you know experimenting with this stuff, yeah. you, you're missing the boat. And your point earlier about yeah, all it takes is a competitor to stand up in front of you is like, yeah, actually, we we start experimenting with this. Wow, we this is how we were able to accelerate this. We were able to do this other thing. It's um, yeah, you, you know, it's uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable, Bartek's law, but boy, if you're going to pick a change to uh, invest in, I think Gen AI is uh, a, a very good bet. Yeah. Awesome, Scott. Thank you so much for all these uh, insights and nuggets. And last but not least, uh, if our listeners want to, you know, read more about you in, in general, and especially this report, you know, where can they find it? Sure. Uh, well, probably best place is to come to my blog, uh, chiefmartech.com. I would say that's Chief Martech without an H at the end. Um, long story on that. Boy, that was a bad <laughs> branding choice, like 16 years ago. <laughs> Memo to the branding department. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> chiefmartech.com, and uh, you can pick up a copy. Well, thank you so much. It was awesome to have you on again. And uh, I'll wish you all the best now with all your uh, things going on for you, Scott. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day.